welcome to Mattering in the Music Room. This is a podcast for music educators who are interested in learning more about social-emotional learning and how to implement it in their everyday music classes. Thank you for joining me on this journey because everyone matters in the music room. Thank you for joining me for episode five. This is part one of an interview with Loren Tarnow. I will be interviewing Loren, author of Sprouting Joy, Cultivating Social-Emotional Learning in the Music Classroom. Social-Emotional Learning Strategies helped this author transform a stressful classroom into one where joyful music making could happen where her students could learn and retain music and develop a lifelong love for music. This book has translated those strategies into lessons and activities specific to the music classroom to create an uplifting and practical resource for all elementary music teachers. Loren has been teaching elementary music in the Austin, Texas area since 2005. She graduated from Texas State University in 2009 with an MME with an emphasis in Kodai Pedagogy and earned her Level 4 certification from the Austin ISD KCP in 2015. Loren serves as the Central Texas Region Co-Representative and will be the President-Elect for the Kodai Educators of Texas. She received several years of training on SEL and is an SEL ambassador through Austin ISD. Loren has presented at several conferences and has written articles with a focus on teaching in diverse communities, SEL for students and adults, and responsive classroom. Loren's book, Sprouting Joy, Cultivating Social-Emotional Learning in the Music Classroom was released by Heritage Music Press in 2022. Let's dive into my interview with Loren. Hello, Loren. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's dive into some questions. How did you become passionate about social-emotional learning, and where did you first come across the concept? It was very authentic for me. I had heard buzz about it in my district. Our campus that I was at at the time was supposed to be a seed model campus for the SEL initiatives that the district was pushing out. We knew that it was happening. We knew there were some directives, but I think the teachers weren't trained. So basically I just realized that my kids were coming to me really stressed out because of testing or problems on the playground or problems coming down the hall, you know, the ever cutting in line thing, the stepping on someone's shoes on purpose or not on purpose, but the kid thinks it's on purpose. Um, So-and-so cheated at soccer whatever happened they were coming to my room a mess and it took a lot of time to get them settled and regulated in order to do anything fun so and it was consistent across many classes 
<laughs> but one day I was talking to a class about it, a class that was very, they were second grade, but they were a very responsible, mature second grade class. And um, they were kind of a mess that day. And I was like, what can we do? What are we supposed to do to get our music lesson rolling in? They were doing Go Noodle in their classroom, which was what our district was subscribing to for indoor recess and brain breaks, which was kind of the first step of the SEL initiatives. And they were like, let's do rainbow breath. And it really started with rainbow breath. And I just watched them. They were already into it. They had already been doing it in their classroom, which is amazing. And I was just watching them and I joined in with them in mindfulness. And I had been doing like my own versions of mindfulness on my own, but I never really thought to bring it into the classroom. They were like, okay, we're ready now. And like everything's like for them seemed to be better. I know that's not always the case. And it's definitely not the case for classes who are new to such a concept. And that takes time to build that skill of um, sitting and breathing and trying to be quiet and trying to pay attention to your body and your mind. But um, that worked with them. And I was like, I'm just going to do this all the time now with every class. I started bringing in mindfulness and then it kind of grew from there. And it really helped that the classroom teacher already built the skills with that one class mm -hmm. and that you were able to grow with your other classes that maybe didn't have the opportunity with their classroom teachers. Right. It's so much better and easier when the whole school is on board, um, but that's not always the case. So you just have to kind of cultivate it in your classroom and create your own culture <laughs> for that. And over time, it really does become a culture. You're like, oh, we do this in music class. At the past few schools I've been at, calm down areas are required, mm -hmm. but the kids tell me that like, you're the only one that has a calm down area. It does become a culture, but I, I'm like, I'm just going to keep sticking strong with it and hopefully it'll keep spreading. And the it'll whole... stick and maybe the other teachers will see that it's working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, I know from doing a little research about you that you are a Kodai educator and that you in your book, which I love it, it's Sprouting Joy, Cultivating Social Emotional Learning in the Music Classroom, that you do have a Kodai quote there. So I was wondering, does Kodai's philosophy of music teaching go along with social emotional learning? Do you think there is an alignment that you see with your Kodai trainings that you've done that kind of work and make it seamless to go together? I think, I mean, that's a complicated question. With the state of the world right now and the state of like Eastern Europe right now, especially, and you have to think back, Kodai was a nationalist. We have nationalist composers from America that were preserving our music. And I think that was his goal. But I'm thinking the quote is music for everyone. Is that? Mm -hmm. Yes. I really do feel like that aligns with SEL because if a student or anyone is not being met emotionally, physically, they're not learning. And so you could have the best music lessons in the world. You could be the best music teacher, the nicest music teacher in the world, but if their needs aren't being met, then they're not learning. And so you're not including everyone. And in our days post-pandemic, with all this crazy stuff going on, a lot of our students need lots 
of extra support and they need to feel that they can trust the adults in their lives and that the adults in their lives are there to support them. And we have to actively build that trust. You know, a lot of our kids come in not trusting school because of what their parents grew up with or whatever happened to them in the past. They come in not trusting adults. That has to be something that you work on actively and you support them to meet all their needs. And so, yeah, I think that is how we reach all students. One of the tenets is being cultural stewards. So you become a steward of your own culture, but you also learn and empathize about other cultures and their music and their practices and their beliefs. My school is extremely diverse. You know, so-and-so is from Afghanistan, and so I played some music from Afghanistan. We played Yatup Doram that day because mm. I told him, um, I was like, I have this great game. It's in Farsi, and it's kind of like Gaga Ball, and he was really excited about it. And he doesn't speak Farsi fluently, but his parents do. He knew some of the words, and then we watched some, like, cartoon songs, um, and the whole class was getting so into it. It's moments like that where kids feel really supported. And I like to do that with all different cultures that I have at my school. So, And they feel a sense of pride when they feel like they're being represented. Yeah, for sure. Because every kid should see themselves in school. They should see themselves represented. They should see their whole self. As music teachers, it is tricky because we have limited amounts of time with the students, but... Mm -hmm their relationship building, if they don't trust us, then they won't go on the journey of the class with us. So building the relationship with them is important. Right. I'm responsive classroom trained. So I really like to stick to those scripts because they are researched and they're very direct, very clear. Um, It's kind of like the warm commander Like Mm -hmm. these scripts are perfect for being that teacher. So when, when I try to stick to the scripts of giving directions and when a student is in need, speaking to them, at least starting on the script, you know, to build that trust because they're hearing language that is open and they're not feeling attacked by an adult making sure it's not wishy-washy. And I was, I was going to ask you, I noticed that some of the language you use is what I've learned in my responsive classroom training. And I have really liked using responsive classroom. Just the modeling is great for music teaching and the, I noticed, what did you notice? And just having very clear directions for students. And it's not that you're being harsh. It's just, you're not being wishy-washy about things like stop stop what you're doing and you don't have any, you know, anger in it. It's just, this is how it is. I've noticed it helps support my SEL work, but how do you think the marriage of responsive classroom kind of works with the SEL work you're doing? And you already answered that a little bit, but. Yeah, I definitely think they go hand in hand. And I'll say after my Kodai training I think my responsive classroom training was monumental in my philosophy as a teacher and in my success and my liking of being a teacher (laughs) because 
it really took, I feel like it took a lot of pressure off of me in a way, as far as the kids are concerned, I should say, because like you said, when you say stop or when you give a very clear structure, this is our schedule. It is now time to go on to the next thing. The kids might be like, oh man, but they're not mad at you about it. They're just like, oh, it's on schedule. I think teacher language can be one of the biggest triggers for students, Mm -hmm. but it can also be one of the biggest, um, I guess I'll say trust builders for students because the way you say something could set a student off completely. Even if you mean it a nice way, it's the way you say it, the words you use have power, which is one of my favorite books, The Power of Our Words, and it's from Mm -hmm. Responsive Classroom. (laughs) I've always taught at Title I, so I've always had a lot of trauma. So yeah, the way the way you say things can really shut down a student. They can set them off. And we know that when a student becomes dysregulated, that it can take 30 minutes or more for them to get back to a functioning state where they're able to process information so that's a big deal <laughs> for some music educators like for me that's my entire class time right so I we've potentially lost them for the entire class mm-hmm. and then we're potentially sending them to their classroom teachers and we haven't been able to help them regulate themselves mm-hmm. to get back right SEL and responsive classroom totally go together I know there's a lot of really good other trainings out there Anything where you're focusing on building relationships and how you do that, I think is crucial. I I mean, to me, it's almost more important than curriculum training, you know, because I completely agree. If they're not able to function and process what you're saying because they're shut down or they're upset or they're using harsh words against other kids because you've modeled it for them. Um, and they take it and they sometimes twist it because they're kids, then you're not getting curriculum taught anyway. I will make lists of students who are doing excellent jobs, sometimes for their teachers when the class is having a hard day. And then there's some kids, is that the bad list? And like, well, first of all, I don't believe in that word bad. You, you are Maybe strong and weak choices. Yeah. I really like that language yeah. so that the good and bad, we just kind of yeah. completely take that out. And yeah. I can't take credit for that. That was one of my supervisor's ideas, I but like when I heard it, I just was like, yes, let's just completely take good and bad out of it. Because when you say good choice, bad choice, mm-hmm. they don't hear choice. Yeah. They yeah. just hear good, bad. Right. I love like this is something that I was like I need to meet this person because I was like yes when I read this as educators it is part of our job to validate our students help them work through their feelings and ensure that their needs are met and they feel cared for this includes all those time that we just want to pull out our hair about a student and um, you include this framework about reframing negative behaviors in case someone doesn't have your book yet Mm -hmm. they should get your book but um do you mind just talking a little bit about how you mentioned doing that and that is a little bit of what we learn 
in responsive classroom, but you talk about when they're seeking undue attention or seeking power or revenge. That chart is from Alfred Adler, Austrian psychologist. And I feel like because that was a long time ago that it's, I'm not going to say it's outdated because it's definitely not at all because humans are humans. But I see it slowly transforming and morphing, but it's such a great starting place at least. And I actually learned about that through a book that I read as a mom and a teacher called um, The Good News About Bad Behavior. Ooh, I don't know that one. I'm writing that down. Catherine Reynolds Lewis. Catherine with a K and then L-E-W-I-S. And that book is amazing. Um, And so I learned about that concept more in depth from her book. I'll talk about undue attention because I feel like that is one of the problems that we have daily, uh, every class. Um, yes. <laughs> because Look every, at me, please, yeah. I want to be seen. I want to be seen. Yes. Every human has a different level of need when it comes to being seen and felt and heard and understood and recognized. Some kids get plenty of attention from their parents, from their teachers, but it's still not enough. Um, And then some kids don't even get that much attention and they're fine. So it really just depends on the person and their personality. But whenever the teacher or the adult feels annoyed, like the kid that's constantly blurting out or making noises or, um, and not like in their own little world making noises, but making noises towards you, I guess. You know what I'm making noises to, to seemingly disrupt. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because there, I also have kids that are just in their own little world making noises. And and they don't, some of our students, they're singing and they have no idea they're singing. That's not this situation. For sure. No. Um, This is like definitely the blurting out. Oh, oh, the band-aids, the band-aids. And you understand because you teach little ones too. (laughs) The constant, oh, anytime they're, yes. And there's like, a scratch there on their finger that has been there for like two weeks, but they need a bandaid. Every once in a while, I'm like, this kid just needs a bandaid. Just, I'll just give him a bandaid. <laughs> but um, most of the time I'm like, if you have a scab, then that means your body's healing and it's doing its thing and it needs the oxygen. <laughs> um, but yeah, the just getting up out of their seat, which I've noticed this year is worse than before just like standing up walking up to your mid-sentence you're in the middle of a song maybe you're and they're just talking to you and you're like I can't you know you have to stop singing and look at them and say I'm trying to teach the class right now go sit down and raise your hand because in my room we use a lot of hand signals so Mm -hmm. we can have you know communication that way um so, so there aren't constant disruptions for the bathroom or a right. tissue or exactly. water. So we have, yeah, we have bathroom, tissue, water, our peace area. And so I'm <laughs> like, why are you up? They want to tell us something and they feel like this is the moment I need to tell you this thing. And yes. you want to validate them as people, but you also have things you want to do with them. Yes, very much so. And I call it kinder explosion because if one kindergartner gets up, and you acknowledge their presence, (laughs) the rest of them are all going to swarm you. Proximity is good. Like a lot of them, I'll move 
their spot, like I'll move their, they sit on dots in my room, so I'll move them up right in front of me so I can just be right there looking at them. If I need to reach out and touch their shoulder just while I'm talking, just so they like know that I'm paying attention to them, um, then they're there. But yeah, so if they're annoying, it's because they don't feel like they're getting the attention that they need at least. I'll also sometimes sit them next to one of those kids in class that you know is going to be like a nurse someday or maybe a teacher. They're like, the, they'll like <laughs> rub their back and just mm -hmm. be there with them. So then you have to like plan your seating chart according to yes all these levels. But what we, we have to remember is priority seating or, um, you know, that we see in our 504s or IEP doesn't always mean at the front of the room. It yes. Because somebody might need the back because they're overstimulated. Yeah. Like when I have spinners or noisemakers, like I'll put them in the back. I know they're paying attention. It's just the other kids that can't pay attention when they're spinning around. Because in they, but they need to have the space to do that also. Yeah. I yeah. think also when we have students that are seeking undue attention, I think that the teacher's attitude towards them makes a huge difference. I right. know we're not all perfect humans, mm -hmm. but if we are visibly getting annoyed at them, right. then they might even seek that undue attention more. Right. And I think that the whole mindset and how we kind of approach that student is really important. And there are times where like, you know, maybe I didn't get enough sleep the night before, or maybe I'm just not in the right headspace yeah. to approach the class. And but the way we approach that child who's doing the attention-seeking behaviors makes all the difference. Right. And I 100% agree. And I think it's important that we recognize that we're training them how to receive attention. Yeah, I definitely think giving them positive attention and finding other ways that they can feel seen and heard which I like to also do outside of class time is training them that they are worth receiving positive attention and that they should accept positive attention and hopefully training them that the positive attention is more valuable than negative attention. Cause we don't want to alienate that person right. because if the students are also noticing that that behavior is bothersome, they might later, if they hear a grown up saying that that student is like annoying, then maybe on the playground, they're not going to want to play with that kid. And we're unintentionally alienating the student that might need more, like right. intentionally seeking more from us. But when we kind of isolate them from their peers, then yeah. that's creating a problem and that could create even more issues later. For sure. Um, and we have to model that. We have to model showing them love and bringing out all their positives you know like the kids who are the special delivery kids like those are those that's are awesome. an important job they it's love important. that job so they're getting to go into that classroom with an important job and all the kids are like wow you know <laughs> so it's it's like it's so good but yeah definitely modeling building up the kids um and I was gonna say uh I think our jobs are unique in the fact that a lot of times 
I'll say, you know, hey, to the classroom teacher, are you nominating so-and-so for GT? And they're like, what? No. And I'm like, really? And like, because we just see a totally different side. Oh, completely. I'm like, well, their language skills are extremely high. They're like. Their pattern, they can, like, I have some, some pre-K kids that, and I do, um, I do first steps with Mm pre-K and I'll introduce a song and there's like one or two kids. We're supposed to repeat a couple of times and they never sing with us. We sing for them. And there's a couple kids that could literally be the leader after they hear the song, maybe once. Yeah. And, and it's so, I love our jobs because it's so, like you said, we see some different things in kids or like I do a lot of creative movement and I just see some students who just their movement matches to the music so beautifully and it just their classroom teachers would never see that that is such a unique side of our job I love that we're able to say positive things about kids like in their classroom maybe they're struggling at everything and so they're getting potentially negative um feedback from the teacher just all day and then our room is a safe space your book you do community building activities Mm -hmm. do you have any tried and true uh you have a couple greeting songs you have a couple circle games Mm -hmm. I know I have a couple things that the kids just beg for yeah what is a community building activity that you would say like you guys should teach this on Monday okay for community building, I always try to choose games that don't have somebody being it so much. Because if they're coming in the room and they're already having a bad day and five kids get a turn and maybe that kid that's having a really bad day isn't one of them, that's just going to set them off for the whole class period. Um, so I just try to do games where everybody participates. So it could even be like a really easy dance. Or I love rock, paper, scissors style games Mm. for that reason. I love hand clapping games for that reason. Um, And I love learning new hand clapping games from my students for that reason. From there, and a lot of them have them from their specific cultures. Mm -hmm. I love hand clapping games because they are tried and true playground games and they've been around for centuries and they're still legit and they're still cool and they still like between grade levels, even at my campus, they do totally different things. And I just think that's so cool how they evolve and there's so many variants. I'll teach lemonade, crunchy ice, because it is one that my students taught me. And there are so many variants. So if you know a different one, that's okay. (laughs) The group of girls that first taught me, that's the variant I went with. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Yes. All right. So the words are lemonade, crunchy ice, sip it once, sip it twice. Lemonade, crunchy ice, sip it once, sip it twice, turn around, touch the ground, kick your boyfriend out of town. (laughs) (laughs) Even with first grade, we laugh. We're like, oh, you know, some silly kid made this up. I just don't even know. It's so silly. 
it's like patty cake style. So it's lemon aid and you're patting your partner's hands on aid and then clap. I call that a high 10. Yeah, I call it a high 10 too. Lemon so <laughs> aid, clap, 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 crunchy ice, clap, 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 sip it once, clap, 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 sip it twice. But then you take away the clap, so it's just kind of feels faster. Lemonade, crunchy ice, sip it once, sip it twice. And then on turn around, you actually turn around. And then touch the ground, you touch the ground. So turn around, touch the ground, and then you do a little kick, kick your boyfriend out of town. <laughs> That's so cute. The first time I'm teaching like a hand clapping game, we walk in the room and we're standing in the middle of the room in a circle and I have like a song that I sing for how we walk in the room like my little kids this is the way we walk in the room and we're singing that as they walk in the room and I'm trying to reinforce that they're not crawling and running and so we're making a circle and then the first time I teach that game we're just standing in a circle doing that in the air without a partner and every class is different so you might have a class that is super well behaved that day who got it right away and then I'm like sure and I just really quick partner them with the person next to them. I also like to show them videos of teachers playing these kinds of games. Oh yeah, me too. I'm like look we're all just being partners with each other. I'm like look at my partner I don't even know that lady but we're we made friends after that you know um, those kinds of things. So then we'll do it with a partner and then we just do a couple rounds and then we just go to our spots and we're, we're coming in the room. We're singing as we come in. We play a quick game where everyone gets a turn in some way. And, you know, it, I hope that as they go to their spots that they're just feeling, like, welcomed into the room. And I'm also watching. I'm noticing, like, who's not doing the hand claps because something if, else happened before they came. Right. Or they don't want to be with their partner. So we go and have a quick conversation. And I will be the partner or I'll join the group of three or I'll take turns being both of their partners just so that like that kid that was kind of rejected, they know that like, at least I'm there for them and I want to be their partner. Um, this is really helpful because I've noticed a lot of the games I learned for some reason were the ones where there were it's. Yeah. But like, I have seen a lot of negative reactions to that. So I really appreciate this conversation and I'm going to try to maybe learn some different games that don't because I want to set my students up for success not saying that the students should never have opportunities where they don't right. get to be it or if yeah. they lose because they do need to learn losing sure. and that's for so sure. hard I do prepare them for not having a turn and we will play this game again but even hearing that yeah like, but oh, I didn't right. get to do it today right and I want one and so that yeah, completely it, sets them off. And this, thank you. Even, I mean, it just makes me think of even last year with third grade, which you would think they would be totally over that. But post pandemic, you just yeah. never know. Stay tuned for episode six, the second part of my interview with Loren. We will discuss how to layer social-emotional learning into your music lessons, including some hands-on mindfulness practices that Loren does with her students. 
we will also discuss ways to balance school and home life and teacher self-care. Thanks for joining me for Episode 5 of Mattering in the Music Room. Music